Faces come and go and I'm forever grateful Come and tell me long and slow exactly what I wait for Better times, yeah, better times, somehow I don't believe it I built a house up long ago just to up and leave it Welcome as we kick off our annual Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign during the month of April with a Bird Dog-centric podcast brought to our listeners by our national partners at Sport Dog Brand. Joining me are returning podcast guests, my buddy and Gitchy's best buddy, Mike Wieben, head trainer at Dawkins Oak Ridge Kennel, and a member of the Sport Dog Pro Staff, and Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's Logan Hinners, our graphic designer and uh, f- uh, frequent contributor from Rooster Road Trip podcast. He's the guy that uh, I credit with being um, the country's best photographer slash shooter hunter at the same time because you got things strapped all over your back <laughs> and you successfully never miss a bird or a f- uh, f- photograph that might be a stretch bob but i'll uh, i'll take the compliments yeah, yeah, well in the Thank podcast you. world you're you're one hell of a uh dual t- uh, dual what's the right word here tandem um skill set that's probably not multifunctional perfect. there we go we'll roll there with we that go. you're a cast and blaster <laughs> Um, and, and Logan has a brand new four-month-old yellow Labrador retriever puppy named Trek. And Trek, whether he knows it or not, is going to be the focus of this particular episode. So today, we are talking puppies. We're talking uh, about turning a puppy into a bird dog. And over the course of this podcast, uh, we're going to enlist the expertise of Mike Wieben as he coaches Logan on properly training Trek um, as he approaches the spring and summer months to lead to a successful first hunting season this coming year as we kick it off. We're looking down the road a little, but September, October, November. So um, we're going to lay the groundwork today. And ultimately, you, the listener, can hear kind of a fly-on-the-wall conversation of a new puppy owner talking with a pro dog trainer about how to avoid mistakes and set up a lifetime of joy and happiness through memories in the field. So without further ado, um, you've heard Logan just for briefly, but welcome to the conversation, Logan. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me yeah, today. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Um, Looking forward to this, Mike. Absolutely. So I'm going to set the stage a little bit. And Logan, we'll start with you. Kind of put into your own words um, your selection process with Trek, what you were looking for in a puppy, how you got to – how you selected Trek. And for for the listener, um, uh, you know, we've shared with Mike an outline for this conversation. But the two of you have really – never interacted so this purely is a kind of a a first introduction dog owner dog trainer conversation which ultimately is what i'm going for here because i think there's you know thousands of listeners out there 
with a brand new puppy thinking this is wonderful now what <laughs> yes <laughs> right absolutely. so that's what we're gonna do today so tell us about track yeah no thanks bob um yeah so i guess you know we were almost five months in with track but uh yeah I, when it came to finding and selecting a puppy um as most of the listeners know we had i had my wife and i had aspen a 10 and a half year old yellow lab who we lost um this last last year unfortunately um so we were in the process of of finding a another puppy um we started that process did a lot of research um you know just trying to find a breeder um timing was you know critical for us obviously um you know, with that, we looked at bloodlines, you know, the, the full spectrum of health guarantees, you know, all those things were important. Um, color, not as much, you know, we're leaning towards yellow or black. Um, we've always had the dark kind of yellow color in our lab. And so that's something we, we preferred. Um, you can't control nature. So you don't know what the litter is going to throw particularly. Trex litter was about half and half, half black, half yellow. Um, we, we had second pick in that litter. Um, ended up being a dark yellow, which um, fit exactly what we're looking for. The timing was great. Um, you know, I've never brought a puppy home. I guess it would have been, well, we brought him home New Year's Eve. So it's kind of a fun way to, to bring in the new mm-hmm. year um, and uh, gives us a lot of excitement um, into this new year. But we've never brought a puppy home, you know, in that, that time period. It's always been um, later in the year pups um, that we're bringing home midsummer. So yeah, I, I had a little bit of fear going into it, like, oh man, what's this potty training going to be like? Uh-huh. And uh, I, honestly, he's he's handled everything really, really well. Um, and if I had to go do it all over again, I think I'd probably do the same mm. time period. Now that I've been through it, because that has set us up to to accomplish a lot of um, kind of that foundational training. You know, we're the basic stuff: sit, mm-hmm. stay, um, place training, um, things like that. Here, targeted here. Um, so we've been working on that while the weather's really crappy out Mm -hmm. um we can do a lot of that the initial retrieve work in the hallway um keeping him kind of confined so he's he's retrieving bringing it to me just just building that foundation uh, is what we've been working on and uh now it's getting warmer we're thinking about the next steps and what we need to do to get him to where we ultimately want him to be come october november which he'll be 11 months Mm. and again that speaks to the timing of bringing him home when we did he'll be hopefully ready to go this fall well and something to be said about that timeline right that winter thing can be difficult for the young puppy but the benefit of this is you have the opportunity now to hunt this dog this fall mm-hmm. right you pick bring a dog home june july by the time that dog's ready for hunting in a wild situation that dog is you know during hunting season where they're you know kind of you'd be throwing the dog in the super bowl when it's not ready <laughs> right, right. Yep. so getting a dog this early and dealing with those winter months which as you say potty training things can be a little more difficult but you're going to see the benefit of that now that you're going to have a dog now spring five months of age and then you're going to be able to hunt this dog this fall so i always try to recommend getting a dog even though it is tougher during those months but that puts you in a great position to have a dog old enough to hunt well, quick question related to potty training a dog in the winter you hear you hear both theories oh it's tougher because it's cold but i've also heard it's actually easier because a dog doesn't want to be out there in the cold <laughs> waiting around any more than you do they get their business done and go in you've probably mike experienced you know a puppy in every month of the year Absolutely. Is, is it 
purely individual, or is it? Uh, is there any trend you can say mm-hmm. that one's easier? Than well, the you know, winter definitely plays a factor in the cold, and you know, the young dog being sensitive, being outside. But what I found is, you know, you just got to keep moving, keep moving. And I think what happens is we underestimate throwing on a light jacket to go let the puppy out real quick, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we're uncomfortable and we want back in, and we probably didn't give that puppy the right amount of time. Um, to do its business or if they do get cold they might need to get brought back inside Uh, we do get calls all the time with potty training issues in especially in the winter months or even summer months and one of the recommendations we always have if you're struggling with potty training you know what mistake people make is they try to go potty outside doesn't happen they let the dog free back in the house and they're experiencing these accidents and that's where we always have the conversation about going back to your crate training Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that's not what we want. We don't want to put our little baby back in the crate, but we have to condition them because every time they have that mistake happen in the house and it repeats itself, it, it really becomes a problem to untrain that. So utilizing, okay, we've gone out. And I always say you've got to start looking at, did the dog, you know, did it drain the tank? Did you see enough things happen? Go, yes, I'm good to let this dog free in the house. If you haven't seen them, it's probably important to put that puppy back in the crate, wait 10, 15 more minutes, go back out, and now when you go, all right, I've seen what I needed to see, mm-hmm. giving that dog more opportunity for freedom. And I think that's where that disconnect is, is the dog didn't do what it needed outside, mm-hmm. came back in, and all of a sudden that habit starts to condition itself. It is really critical, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, to marry the two, crate training and potty training. Because it, the minute that pup awakes from a nap or in the morning, for you to scoop that puck be up, take them outside immediately, and let them do their business so they instantly marry the two like exiting the crate means i gotta go to the bathroom it's training the owner too right but but when you marry those two things the rest of their life for you and for the pup they're connected right absolutely absolutely that routine and i found that keeping them moving i think standing there and waiting for them it can be the mistake keeping them moving whether you're Mm. walking around the yard and obviously by them moving, you're getting things if they've been at sleep or in the crate, getting them moving again is going to get the process moving a little faster as mm-hmm. well. So I always put the puppy, uh, we're going to probably end up talking about this today, is on a check cord. They're always on a rope and keeping that puppy moving, moving, and that really tends to help with that potty training. Interesting. Yeah, I, I took us on a detour at potty training, but I know our <laughs> listeners. Oh, uh, absolutely. Th- that's an important one. That's a very So go ahead, Logan. Tell us about um, what, what do you want to accomplish with Trek? What kind of a hunter do you want Trek to be? Um, yeah, no, that's a good question, Bob. I, uh, I'll use a baseball analogy because I know, <laughs> I know you and I are both, both baseball fans. I, I would frame it as like, I'm looking for a, a dog that's kind of a five tool player, right? I want a dog that's, um, well-behaved, obedient, you know, a great family member. And maybe those two are hand in hand, um, the same thing in a sense, but, I would also, um, you know, my goal would be to have Trek um, be a great upland bird hunter. That's primarily my focus, but also be able to cross over, do some waterfall and shed hunting. Um, Yeah, I kind of live a a lifestyle that I I like to fluctuate and do a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, I just, I really enjoy having a companion that, you know, can go afield and do all these different things with me. Uh, It just makes everything more enjoyable. And a lot of that's just based off opportunity. Um, so I guess that's kind of how I would frame what I'm looking for. Would you for. add shed hunting to, I mean, you seem yeah. like you're a pretty passionate shed hunter. Too. I do. And it, it's just something to do. I, you and I will agree to disagree, but you're a winter guy. I'm a spring guy. Um, <laughs> that's, I, uh, there's truth there. 
I definitely look forward to spring and shed hunting. I'm a big whitetail guy too. Bow mm-hmm. hunt a lot, but um, it gets me out in the spring. You know, you, cabin fever sets in. It's, it's starting to get nice. We're all ready to get outside. It's something I can go do, enjoy with my dog. You know, we can just both be out, get exercise, get stimulation, fresh air, um, and it kind of helps helps him help me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I, I actually did some seminars at. Uh, our last show here for pheasants forever and quail forever um, here in Minneapolis. And, and, you know, it really is a great way. You just mentioned getting your, you've been out cooped up. That dog hasn't had any action potentially since last year, mm-hmm. getting your dog on something. And the number one question I always get on the shed thing is, will this affect my dog in a negative way? Mm-hmm. And we always have to remind people that there's no way that cold lifeless antler <laughs> is going to outbeat that live moving bird. So, if anything, you're extending that dog's hunting ability, using its eyes, its nose, retrieving things. So, you know, definitely encourage anybody that has any dog that likes to retrieve, whether it's a baby puppy, young dog, or an older dog, to play that game. So we definitely want to dig into that a little bit since you brought that up. And the the thought that can be hard with the shed thing is it's not something that any dog is naturally bred to want or get. It's usually created by, I always say, think of the antler as a dummy. Anybody can buy a brand new dummy, start throwing it for the dog, and all of a sudden the dog goes, that's my favorite dummy. That's kind of the approach with the antler as well. Um, What can do is if you are on birds pretty heavy with the dog, and the dog is very birdy, and then you try to introduce some shed stuff, that can be tough for them sometimes because as you try to get that dog to pick up that lifeless horn, it becomes that dog that's a hunting dog, especially if it's a five-year-old dog. It's constantly out there looking for the bigger, better thing because that's what it's done. So this young age for any young dog, shed is really important to start that as young as possible. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the steps on that. Once, have you done a little bit on the shed? Have you thrown yeah. any retrieves with that? Yeah, so we've, you know, he's got a couple little smaller shed antlers, mm-hmm. you know, that he plays with that we've done a little retrieving with he'll he'll pick them up just fine he gets excited about them good um you know i know there's some scent things you can do with that you know mainly it's just it's an excuse to get him out you know absolutely i'm not going to be mad if he runs over a shed you know it's i'm not taking it that serious my my priority is to get him more of a bird dog than a a shed dog but it's it's just another element in the end game that it would be awesome to have well the thing that to touch on is when you have a young dog, you really want to put some eggs in that shed basket before the bird. Hmm. Because once you go down the bird road, if you try to circle back, you might have lost your opportunity to get that dog okay. excited about that antler. So let's talk about a bird. It's moving. It's alive. It, the dog gets to chase it. Antlers sitting there. So to get a dog motivated to pick up antlers, where's the praise happen? Only once they have it and they're bringing it to you, you're starting to provide some excitement praise for them having it. A dog gets all its excitement from a bird, and you're not even involved yet. Chasing it, catching it. So that antler game is once you start throwing them, and if you can get a dog to start picking up antlers, and something to be thought of, you know, you mentioned I have some smaller antlers, so that's, that was good to hear, right? You don't want to start with your large stuff for your puppies. <laughs> you got your 10-pointer out yeah. there. And, Moose paddles. And taking off. <laughs> The tips, you know, so there's no sharp edges, making decisions as putting the antler down to help them pick it up easier. 
But that's definitely something you want to kind of work on. And once you get them picking it up, then it's all about kind of the hiding the Easter eggs for the kit and playing that game. So as you're looking here with this young dog, you mentioned some shed and bird. I'm going to encourage you to put a lot of effort into that shed game. Every day you're playing hide the Easter eggs around the home, outside, and you're still working on your bird dog's eyes, nose, and retrieving. So you're not, because these dogs don't usually get introduced to bird and gun, live birds and gun until they're about five months of age. You're, you're right there. Yep. But we definitely encourage owners to get that shed game going ahead of time. So if you are going to circle back and play that game later in life, if it's new later, that bird is like you guys mentioned sports. It's already picked its sport. It's really not interested in maybe playing another sport. So I definitely encourage you to keep that going if you've hmm. started it and, you know, keep that from throwing retrieve now with the antler. That dog looks to never see you throw it. It's starting to incline that they're out there. Dad hit them for me. I got to go, go find, find that. So once I bring it back, and it's very important with those shed dogs or even bird dogs, People sometimes say good dog when the dog is about a foot away or about to pick it up. Well, that antler only has value when the dog has it in its mouth and comes back. And if you're praising the dog before it picks it up, it might have said, well, I found it. I'm already good. I'm going to move on to find something else. So it's really important with that shed game that you're waiting till the dog picks it up, is moving with it, and that can relate to any kind of retrieve. Um, but that'll really help that build that fire. So that dog's okay. going, if I want to get your excitement, I have to get this in my mouth and find you. Okay. And then it's very important that if they have it and they drop it, and this goes along with birds as well, you might be praising and the dog drops it at your feet and you're still saying, good boy. Well, you're not putting all your eggs in the basket of this dog realizing that the reason he's so excited is because I have this hard, lifeless, cold antler in my mm. mouth. So definitely encourage you that if that's a game you want to play, you almost play that game almost twice or three, four times more than your bird. Um, and that leads us to ask, you know, have you exposed the dog to any wings or birds at this time? So at this point, he's, you know, we have a bumper that the only time he gets the bumper is when we're doing a, a short retrieving session in the house. Um, we, we've taken it outside in the driveway just a couple times when the weather's been nice, the, the few nice days we've yeah. had at this point. <laughs> yeah. But um other than that, it's just been a bumper. I did zip tie a, a pheasant wing to it just to see how he'd react to the feather aspect. Um, I got the reaction I probably anticipated with that. You know, he he was like, you know, this is different. It's new. I, you know, was excited. Check it out. Surveyed it. He did end up picking it up and brought it back to me excitedly. But that's that's as far as his bird introduction. Okay, so yeah, good that you, you've had some bird contact. And we encourage a, uh, when you bring a baby puppy home as early as eight weeks old, seven and a half, eight weeks old, that you are starting that exposure to that wing to bring out that drive as quick as possible. Okay. What I did like to hear that you said is I've already put that on a dummy. And that's important because once a young puppy will start retrieving a wing, what happens to that little wing, they'll start chewing on it and chomping on it. So we always encourage our owners, once you get a young dog, if they are moving their mouth on that retrieve on that wing, you need to start making that a little bit bigger to fill their mouth. <laughs> Whether it's multiple wings taped together or exactly what you've done, put that on a small canvas dummy or small yep. bumper to start helping that young dog learn to open its mouth. And you're also always trying to fill the puppy's mouth. I don't know if anybody's experienced a dog <laughs> that can be hard mouth. I, I noticed that he was looking at me. When <laughs> yeah, he was I was, yeah, I was get, following his eyes. Yeah, yeah. that was, a, that was a, one of the gitchy uh, training components. Yeah, so when, they, it, when they're young like this, you can't force them to not do that. 
But what you can do is fill their mouth full enough mm. that there's not as much room to chomp. And that kind of goes into the conversation of this age. That's why we don't really encourage a lot of toys, balls, plush. One of the big thing we'd want to point out is squeaky toys. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if anybody's had a fresh dead pheasant and the dog had it in his mouth and, and they were holding it and right. that bird made a little bit of noise. Well, if that puppy's had squeaky toys, what does that turn into? Right. Let's it's, chew it to make, that, they love. to make that noise. So I'm glad to hear that you've already put that on that, that wing on there. So now you need to start watching, is that puppy's mouth being able to move? Well, I need to get something a little bit bigger. Okay. But we got to go so big that now the puppy can't pick, pick, up, it up. pick it up. So this age that you're going through from eight weeks to five months, all the way up to a year, you're constantly watching of – is the puppy got its mouth full? Is there room to chomp? And can I move up to something bigger to prevent that? Oh, I went to the bigger dummy. I went to the bigger bird. The dog was struggling. It was trying to grab its head and its feet to pick it up. Well, we need to step down a little bit to make that process a little bit easier. So when I think about the dock and deadfall trainer, right, like you guys have the bobwhite quail and the teal and the rough grouse that mimic the bird. But it's really not so much the bird it's mimicking. It's for the age of the puppy to fill their mouth. So even if you're a hardcore quail hunter, if you have a lab that's a quail hunter, after it's a puppy, you don't want to be using the quail necessarily. You want to be going to the pheasant dummy or the Canada goose dummy because it fills their mouth and prevents the squeezing of their teeth, which will develop into a hard mouth a la when I had you solve and get you, right? I mean, is that a good? Absolutely. You know, it's, I always call it bubblegum mouth. They want to chew, mm-hmm. right? And that's something for any young person that, or I should say young dog owner that has a puppy going up. And I, say, I always say to people, if you're not going to use the dog for a job of hunting, it's just going to be a companion dog. You don't have to worry about what you give them to retrieve and play. If that makes the dog happy, sure. But we have a dog that we're planning on having some big shoes to fill and do a job here for us. And, the best thing we can do is condition that dog to have something in their mouth that doesn't start that bad habit and get it going. Because as you know, that once they get going, it's, it's mm-hmm. hard for them to stop themselves. Mm-hmm. I, and I think even with your particular dog, I mean, sometimes she didn't even know she was doing it because mm-hmm. it was just something that she craved so much. So, yeah, definitely working that ladder up. I'm not a big fan of toys and balls. But I always say, I I get all the time, well, Mike, I I walk away, the grandkids, or somebody's going to bring a ball out. Mm -hmm. When I've turned my back, it's going to happen. The family's going to need that. Okay, let's go from a tennis ball then to at least throwing a softball so the dog has something bigger in its mouth. So at least it is that toy. It's something that's not causing more problems that we're going to have to try to fix down the road. And I think that's something to think about. we see the joy in this puppy, let's say, having this toy and how happy they are. But we, we forget then at some point later we're going to expect them not to do that. Mm-hmm. And how are they supposed to know the difference between their funnest thing at home to their funnest bird out in the field? Mm-hmm. They're going to see them as something very similar. So to explain to that puppy it's free to do that at home, but I expect you none of that when you go hunting, that's really hard for young dogs. So you're kind of setting your child up for – potentially training later that has to undo all that Mm -hmm. and as a trainer that's something that i deal with every day and you know we we really get dogs in at a young age have these conversations like we are today to start talking about these things because 
if we can prevent these problems from ever happening, it's going to be smoother for the owner, smoother for the dog. Everything is going to go a lot smoother when we get into training, not to try to undo something. Um, and as you experienced, Bob, you know, it, it took some time, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's, it's right. N- when they have these issues, it's not a one session thing. It takes months to undo some of these problems. So, sure. So take the photo with the squeaky plush pheasant, post that shit on Instagram, <laughs> then throw it away. <laughs> Get rid of that right? stuff. Yes. Well, I always say, Kill come the on. squeaker. Yes. Bag that <laughs> stuff up, remove it. And you did mention the dock and deadfall trainer, and this is one of our owner's product. And you know, there's a lot of thought that went into these products to help these dogs make a better decision when they're retrieving. And when you're working with dogs every day, what we found is these products, you know, just like you mentioned, putting wings on something can just really help the whole process. And it's small. It sounds like you have a small enough dummy, but that's kind of the one thing I need you to, you always be need to be challenging that puppy to move up. Sure. Judging how is it handling? And if the puppy can move up, as a parent, you can't keep holding the puppy back to, well, this is the only dummy I have, so this, I'm just going to keep throwing it. You know, definitely be paying attention if that puppy can move just up. Just keep challenging. Keep challenging. Take us maybe one step back. What I'll call it free play, for lack of a better term, like just in the house. You know, if you, if you don't want them to have balls, squeaky toys, like is, is there any – like what, like what toys would you recommend at this age that are just out for them to play with? Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, all retrieving should be structured if you're planning on using that retrieve later. Yep. You know, just like if you had a young child getting into sports, as a father, you'd be out there making sure, you know, he's he's hitting the ball the right way, he's pitching the right way, he's throwing the basket in the right way. It's kind of the same with these puppies. So you mentioned deer antlers. You know, that's probably the one thing that I've always done with my personal dogs, to give them something to chew on, something to have, Here's your toy, okay? Mm-hmm. And what we find with that antler is it's so hard that puppies need to chew, right? They all yeah. do. They all have to get release that mm-hmm. energy. But at least with that antler, once they chew for 10, 15 minutes, what happens? They go, you know what? I'm kind of sore. I'm kind of done chewing, so I'm going to stop. Where with these plush toys and the other things, it almost becomes a challenge for mm-hmm. the dog. I'm going to chew this up. I got this one. Where's the next thing? And those are the kind of the problems that lead into. So my go-to has always been the deer antler as mm, something sure. in their crate, in the house. When I drive with my dog, I mean, even as a, an older dog, he always has that antler there to chew on. Um, so that's kind of always been my go-to. Yep. And then as a maybe another step back, um, does that affect the shed hunting aspect yep. at all? If it's it just out it can 24 seven for them at the end of the day with a young dog if you're planning on doing the antler thing any exposure to an antler is good exposure so if you have a retrieve going and you're playing this game if you get a little bit farther down the line five six seven months like you know i've been shed hunting puppy's doing great it's finding them but now i'm running into this problem where now the puppy brings me the antler and gets about five feet and wants to go lay down and chew on it then it's time to bring that out of the equation and we're hoping that the puppy's old enough and you have a routine, you're in training, you're doing things to stimulate that dog so they don't need that time of just sitting there in the living room chewing on something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they need that, but it, it, at the same time, you always got to be saying, what what other problems am I going to create here by <laughs> giving this dog this? And, and it's like raising, I have young kids. It's, sometimes it's easy. like, okay, they're just busy over there. I don't have to take care of them right now. But you've always got to be looking at things as what that puppy's doing with that, whatever the item is, if that was a bird retrieve, would I be okay with it? And mm. if the answer is no, we need to make a decision to take that item out of the dog's life. Now, if you have another item, you're like, I throw this particular bumper and I get the best out of this dog. 
that is definitely the thing to go to, especially early on as you're trying to create that routine. Sure. Hmm. So for, for Trek, for instance, you know, we, when we started kind of first did some of our initial like retrieving sessions, um, I, he has this rope toy, um, that he really loves. He loves to go get it, loves to retrieve it, gets excited about it. So I started him with that because I got the reaction I was looking mm-hmm. for. And then I took him from that to a, a smaller bumper, went up one size, and that's what we currently have the wing zip tied to. And again, we do, I'm not doing it every day. It's a couple times a week. We'll just do our session focused on that. And that's the only time that that bumper's coming out. Mm-hmm. The rope toy he has in-house 24-7. He'll run around with it like a wild man. He'll shake it. And okay, so let, let's touch on that yep. one there. So I'm going to throw you under the bus here a nope, little bit fine. on that one. That's but what it's for. Let's talk about what you just said with that rope toy. Once again, if he was doing that with a bird, mm-hmm. running around with it, shaking it, right, mm-hmm. what would your reaction be? That's not okay. Yep. So those are definitely something that I'd highly recommend. You're like, nope, all these things got to go. So he's only playing with it unless I give it to him and we're – you're, you're creating a routine, yep. yeah, and you're almost going to want to start now, especially the age you're at, is you throw a retrieve, and you make a determination, how did that first retrieve go? He fired out, he grabbed it, he was excited about coming back with it. Another one is going to be given. Let's turn it the other way. I threw it, he just wanted to do, lay down, play with it, run off with it. The game is over. I'd put that thing away. You can wait 15 minutes, half an hour, go try it again. But what that puppy's doing is trying to create his own routine sure right yep. so you have to be as the coach you're not going to let the play run that you don't want run so you got to make sure you pull that puppy off the field for a minute go hey i'm going to stop this and puppies are always going to be like well wait a minute what's why is everything quitting mm-hmm. and, and one thing i've even done with young puppies is you know if, if they go outside and maybe don't make the right decisions with retrieving with you and then they go back in the living room and just have this fun with all these other items what's really making your scenario that important to the puppy like i don't really need to perform for dad i can go in the house and i got my rope and my toy and my balls i'm having just as much fun here so you're gonna at the age now that you're really gonna want to put all your eggs into trying to perform that nice athlete retrieve and knowing that if the puppy's not performing you're gonna shut it down pull out pull out but then all of a sudden you're going all right now i got one good one all right I'm a guy I got two good ones, but I know if I throw it three times, that's where the, the, the chaos or the mistakes start to happen. Well, you need to know that, and when you learn that, you got to keep that information really <laughs> up front because it's like it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of stopping that puppy from getting to that, and all of a sudden now what happens is everyone starts to happen the right way. That habit starts to get created, and all of a sudden now that puppy's not even choosing to make those mistakes because he's just been conditioned, conditioned to yeah. doing it. So a question I would have for you at this point, has there been a check cord rope involved in any kind of retrieving? No, because we've been in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, in a confined? Confined. Yep. He, can't, he can't escape me. I throw it down to the end of the hallway, which split level house. It's not like a super long hallway. It's a pretty short run. He picks it up, and he's he's coming back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so a- I haven't. But when I, you know, we're at a point now where it's getting nice. He can finally deal with a little bit of snow we had left. Um I will definitely put a check cord on. Absolutely. And and that's something we get young dogs in that have never been off a six-foot rope or they've been a fenced in. They haven't been exposed to that rope attached, dragging underneath. Now all of a sudden you want to use that tool to help that puppy make a better decision, and they're not conditioned to wearing one. So I'm going to highly recommend that even before you use it for retrieving, that puppy's dragging that check cord around, exposed to having it 
touching them. I've seen puppies that touched their leg and they didn't know what it was because they've always been just on a shorter, shorter rope or leash. So getting them exposed to that. And the big thing about the hallway thing is that's exactly what you should do for a young puppy. But, you know, you're at a point here, you got to get out. And once you go out in the world, the distraction level is going to go the neighbor, this, that. Mm -hmm. So that puppy is going to have all these things pulling it away from you. So that check cord and what I always like to say to... So explain that real... Because you visually did it. Yep. But explain what you're doing yeah. for the listeners. So, you know, by using a light rope, you're going to be encouraged them to come the right way. Yeah. And one analogy I always like to use, it's like having a 100-pound fish on one-pound test line. Mm. How are you going to handle reeling that fish in? You're not going to pull hard because mm-hmm. you're worried you're going to snap the line. Well, I want you to think of that as discouraging the dog to retrieve. You're going to pull just enough to try to move that fish towards you, mm-hmm. but always worry that if I pull too hard, I could potentially snap the line and lose this fish. So that's kind of the same thing I do. It's, and it's constantly pulling them to you. But then if they want to come, relaxing, praising. And I've seen puppies, they're coming, and all of a sudden they divert and being ready. And one thing we do at our kennel that we're really sticklers on is when we're running a rope is not just standing there. It's when a puppy goes forward raising our hand up high with the rope, keeping it out of their feet, moving forward with them. And then one big thing we don't do with young puppies is just stand there and go, here, bring it to me. Mm-hmm. We're running away. We're excited. When you run away from them, it, it's kind of like the pack takes off. So one of the best things, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard this, you get a puppy, best thing you do is when they have it is run away from them because what they're going to do is they're going to compete with you to get in front of you. Hmm. Well, when you have that rope, Instead of turning around and saying, here, bring this to me, now that puppy has a decision about three feet away to go, I don't know, he might be trying to take my prize. I might have to hit the brakes here. But by running away, they're going to compete with you, run past you, and guess what? They're going to bring that check cord rope right to you and give you an opportunity to pick up that rope. And usually it's that last five feet, especially a dog that tends to be a very birdie dog. They value it at a young age. You're going to see what we call being possessive, meaning when they get that bird, their pretty much instincts are telling them, this is mine. You can't have it. And I think that's one mistake every person makes too much with a do- young dog is they take the retrieve way too quick. Mm-hmm. We're thinking we want to throw it again, mm-hmm. right, to get that retrieve in there. But what you're actually creating is a dog that goes, well, why would I come to you? You're just going to take my prize from mm-hmm. me. Sure. So I want you spending way more time with any puppy, whether it's eight weeks old or any stage of training. If they want to hold it, if they want to come with it, work more about how long can I get this puppy to stay by me with this item in their mouth. And I don't care if a young five month old puppy wants to crawl up my chest, holding a bird in their mouth. Right. As long as they want to be here, that can start creating that instinct to, I got to get to you as quick as possible. Okay. And it can really stop that training issue of, well, he brings it about three feet and then he drops it and he wants to take off and not finish on the retrieve. How much, if you're conditioning him to, you know, I, I, I guess my question back to that would be like, are you conditioning them at that point to parade around? Um, you know, you hear that too. You, if, ideally, you want a finished dog who's going to ret- make the retrieve, bring it back to you, and not do all the parading around. Mm-hmm. Now, where do you draw the line there? Well, at a young age where you're at, you have to create what you're looking for. If you're getting that nitpick on it's got to be 100%, you're asking the dog to do something that it's not ready to be asked to do yet. So it's really important to get them established of coming back. It's good to be back. And then we do that. So, you know, around five months is where we introduce a young dog to bird and gun. 
and then we wouldn't start really working on controlling the finish until they're around eight to nine months of age. So we're not so concerned about the good finish till later. So at the puppy stage, you're just trying to get the best retrieve you can get. Okay. And that's where I'd ask, what's better, dropping it over here, not wanting to bring it to me, or he's right here running between my legs, jumping on me because he's got the bird in his mouth. As long as he wants to hold it, I'd want to be celebrating that at that stage. Okay. Very yeah. good to know. Cause that, that was a question I had that, you know, where, where do you kind of let some of the obedience that I know he knows slip? in order to generate that excitement. Well, that's a great point you made because when they're young, their obedience and their fun burden retrieving should be as far away from each other as possible. Hmm. You should have a select area where you do obedience and you should have whatever different area do your retrieving. You don't want to bring any of your discipline stuff into your positive retrieving. We'll do our introduction to bird and gun at five months of age and our customers will say, well, what commands did you work on? We didn't work on any commands. We worked on showing the dog that birds were good, guns were good, and how to make the most retrieve out of them. We weren't giving them any commands. We weren't making them heal, sit. We want this experience that we're trying to create here to be nothing but positive. So, yeah, definitely okay. make sure those are – and don't don't get in a situation where you're doing fun and you're starting to add some healing, sitting, obedience in there because kind of like kids, that's conflicting. Are, are we having fun or are we working? Mm -hmm. So definitely keep those very separate. And you said you, you keep that pretty separate at this stage, so five months to eight to nine months? Eight to nine, and then eight and to then nine months. start overlaying the two? Yep. Well, okay. And even when they come in at eight months, they're still very separated. But what we're doing over here is creating training for the future, keeping them on birds and shooting and retrieving with the check cord. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, you're taking what you did with training and trying to overlap it onto the gotcha. fun situation. So, okay. yeah, so don't, don't be feeling like you got to race into that obedience on the retrieve so if i can project for a minute and hear what you're talking about like on the obedience side you're going to be working on healing right to train that dog to be at whatever you determine right or the left yep <clears throat> on the fun side you're working on the retrieve uh getting the dog to come back to you with bird in the mouth and proud right you but you ultimately come back and whether that's parading or not you're not worried about it at this point as long as the dog is with you and then as you get to a little bit older eight nine ten months you layer mm -hmm. you take that heel to the retrieve right Absolutely. And, and you get the heel next to the retrieve where the dog ultimately will stand right next to you and give up the bird yeah and that retrieve to train stuff comes later and that's when you put what you expect and what we do in that course is work on a lot of different ways to teach them how to retrieve properly not using the bird to teach them hmm. so there's items that are used in training that have no correlation to guns birds dummies we use them to teach them how to retrieve properly meanwhile birds have been nothing but check cord mm -hmm. you do enough work and training that eventually when you ask them to heal and hold that retrieve on that bird you've manufactured what you expect them to do and then you overlay that onto the bird so that whole process leading up to that we're not using discipline the check cord is just there for control it's there to help them make the right decision and they might make the right decision 50% of the time, but you're always there assuming that every time I throw a retrieve, that dog is going to either do it right, but I need to be ready for when it does it incorrectly. Yep. And, and being patient, you know, if that rope's caught in their foot or stepping on it, you know, being patient, 
waiting. You know, that's one thing we work with a lot of customers. It's, it's, well, I want it right now. Well, hold on. Our tools that we're using are not in a good position to Mm -hmm. use them. Let your boy take two steps. Now he's not stepping on the rope. Oh, perfect opportunity. It's hooked to his belt collar. Now I can start to guide that puppy in. And we see dogs that don't want to bring the bird at all. I mean, we'll see dogs that just want to take off. Mm. And you can't go from, oh, I got a dog picking up the bird that wants to run the other way to right to me. You might have to let that dog run off to the side a little bit. And then over time, you start to narrow down that path and make it a little bit more direct. But once again, that check cord is being used, but it's always super light, relaxed. There's not a lot of pressure that comes from that rope. Okay. So um, I know we're, we're heading towards bird and gun introduction. Do you have any other questions, Logan, about obedience or first steps? Because I, I, do, I have one more question in that regard. It, maybe ask your question, Bob, and then I'll just give a quick overview of what I've done up to this point with Trek to set a foundation for, like, here's our foundation. Where do we need to go with so, the next you know, bird and gun? As you're explaining – you know, the plush toys and tennis balls and the antlers. I'm, I'm thinking about my own experiences with my own dog. And it's, it's that desire to allow dogs to have playtime, right? Where you're not, you're not doing something, but you know that they're occupying themselves with something. And they're like, oh, the dog's happy, right? And, and I'm, I'm interpreting, Mike, you're, the way you're answering some of those is, well, a dog, a person that has a dog that they want to become a bird dog, there's no such thing as necessarily free playtime. There's they, they could, when you're talking about playing with items for retrieving, you need to have it structured. The playtime could maybe come with the kids for socialization with kids, socialization with other dogs. That's playtime. But when it comes to items that you're playing fetch with in the backyard, antlers, docking deadfalls, frozen birds. You need to have structure around that. Otherwise, you're going to end up backtracking in the training part. Is that an accurate assessment? Absolutely. And I, I just don't think it's fair for that young child to be, you know, kind of mixed messages. Well, it's okay this afternoon, but it's not okay later when we do our structured retrieves. And you're almost going to start having your own battles with your own child at home like that because you, you keep changing the structure. So yeah, it's it's tough. And it I is tough because I think, oh, I'm going to yeah. make dinner. Here, just go play with the tennis ball. for a minute. But that's actually has set me back. Absolutely. You know, it's it's tough to say, but, you know, a lot of what we do with our own personal dogs is if I can't give my own personal dog my full attention, I'm cooking dinner, I do put my dog in the crate for that little bit of time when I can't give it its focus. And then retrieving is structured. If I need to wear the puppy out, I'm just going to take him outside and just keep, if even if I got to do laps around the house just to keep that puppy moving, I'd rather burn off energy, keep the puppy busy but not abuse my retrieving habits that mm-hmm. I know are going to be a costly mistake later on. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't talk much about social socialization yeah, until right now. That's a critical component pre five months old. Oh, right? It's probably the most important thing, you know, dogs, you know, 
years ago, I mean, most dogs were pretty social unless somebody lived in northern Minnesota and all they seen was the ups man once in a while. <laughs> We'd get a, a random dog that was a little shy. I mean, dogs went everywhere with everybody. And what we've experienced in the last few years is everybody's been a little bit more of a homebody. And we're getting these people coming and going, you know what, I just realized that we haven't even taken this puppy out of our own house more than a couple times. And these puppies come to a new place, new people, new scenarios, and it really can set them back. So I can't stress enough that socialization, that's, that's really number one. Because if they're out, if they're not social, mm-hmm. how is a trainer, how is another person that might have some background on working with gun dogs help you if the dog comes out and has not experienced the world? So, yeah, anywhere you can take that puppy to socialize it. Uh, one of the biggest things when, when we get a dog dropped off, you know, the owners are right away don't want to embarrass themselves around the dog trainer, so they don't want the dog to misbehave. And my first comment is, I want to let that dog do whatever. If it wants to jump on me mm-hmm. at first greeting, that is a good thing for me. <laughs> that means that dog is socialized. It knows people are good. We're going to get along just fine because it's already shown me that it's comfortable with new situations. So don't even don't even scold that dog for trying to get his muddy paws on me this spring. I'm happy that this puppy wanted to come up and say hi to me as a new person. It, it- Pre-COVID, it wasn't as big a deal with social socialization around people, right? People saw each other. Absolutely. It's become a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. I, what I have encountered is dogs socializing with other dogs can be a problem. You're like, oh, what's the big deal? But if you hunt with other people, any sort of groups, and it, we've all experienced this where somebody lets that one dog out of the truck at the back of the tailgate as everybody's making a game plan for mm-hmm. how they're going to hunt. And that one dog just can't get along, right? And starts picking fights with every other dog. That is a symptom of poor socialization as a puppy normally, right? It can be. And then, you know, some dogs can just be dominant and that can play a factor. True. Um, true. It could be a dog that potentially was picked on a little bit by other dogs and kind of got in defense and now it's kind of lived with that. Um, But, yeah, you know, we definitely recommend keeping all dogs separate you know, especially in our world, until they're fully trained, fully controlled, you really should be all one-on-one because those are the kind of things that when you don't have full control of a dog, those problems can start coming. So, you know, all these stores now, and I'm finding everywhere I go, I was just up at a store here the last weekend, and people can bring their dogs in, you know, the supermarket, the bank. Nobody's going to be upset when you bring a young puppy in, right, even Mm -hmm. if there is a no dogs allowed. Um, (laughs) That is going to be something that's going to help them interact going to other friends' house, different yards. And and we need to touch a little bit here on you're retrieving at home. You're talking about just getting outside. You kind of need a lot of things need to happen here. You need to get outside in your backyard. You need to get outside in your buddy's backyard. You need to start showing this puppy, it doesn't matter where I go, things are good, new people, and then exposing that retrieve game. So if you are going to utilize a trainer, when your dog comes to a next, that next stop for a trainer – well, I've already been so many places and retrieved in new environments that you're kick-starting that young dog off. Is This is just another place that we go to have fun. So, mm. yeah, yep. socialization. A trainer, nobody can help you if the dog is not socialized. Mm. If the dog gets out of the car and it's just it doesn't know what to do without being by its parent, it, how is the trainer going to help that situation? That dog's going to kind of go in its shell just and clam up. Yeah, and sometimes it takes us. I've had dogs, it takes a week. Now, we're a week behind the schedule because we were working on socialization when we should have been working on bird and gun introductions. Mm-hmm. So um, the more socialization, the better, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
we've done, I think, a, a ton of that, just not in the retrieve sector, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, he's he, he's with me at the office today. You know, Good. He's in the truck learning learning to be in the crate. I, mean, I bring him to my parents, bring him to my sister-in-laws. Like he's living on the road with us back and forth. Um, he's been in a lot of different environments, just doing basic Again, a lot of obedience stuff um, in different environments, whether it's my parents' house. I've even handed the controls over to my parents, let my dad give commands, my mom give commands, my wife, um, just so he's not doesn't think in his head he's got to listen just to me. Absolutely. Um, I just haven't taken the retrieve game into yeah. those different so environments. So get it solid outside of your own environment, but okay. then, yeah, so you're like, nah, every time I throw, I'm good at home that's your your signal that you need to move on to different locations and that's when you can start transitioning mm-hmm. that out absolutely cool all right so we're heading towards bird and gun introduction before we go there shout out once again to sport dog um the sponsor of this particular uh episode of on the wing podcast and also mention that it's bird dogs for habitat month the entire month of april at pheasants forever and quail forever it's our bird dog popularity contest all for the purpose of creating public lands habitat through our Build a Wildlife Area program. Every donation made through the campaign equals a vote for your favorite be- breed of bird dog, but it also equals dollars for our Build a Wildlife Area program, which will help us create more public lands for all of us to chase our bird dogs around for these the coming fo- autumns to come. Um, this week is Sport Dog Brand Week, and they have provided a Sport Dog Brand Sport Trainer 1275 as a prize for one lucky donor during this week. So go to birddogsforhabitat.org to vote. And thanks to Orvis, Perina Pro Plan, Rufflin Kennels, the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association and Sport Dog Brand for sponsoring Bird Dogs for Habitat. All right, so we're here at Bird and Gun Introduction. Sounds like Logan's done a lot of the right things to get us to to this point. Probably a little bit more on the retrieve training in variety of different um, settings. Mm-hmm. So, um, is he? How close is he to? The bird and gun introduction. Yeah, we generally do that around five months. So there is a little bit of a couple things that we'd want to do. You've got wing exposure. You've been retrieving. We need to get outside. We touched on that. But we really need that puppy, if it, especially if it's going to start bird and gun introduction, to be actually exposed to the real thing. So it's great that you put in that dummy wing combo, but the next step is real birds. And one of the best birds that we have found out there that we use is a pigeon. It's small. You disable them by clipping a wing on one side what happens is is that bird can't run fast like a pheasant it can't get away so quick that the puppy doesn't have a chance and they are a small enough bird that we really enjoy seeing a young dog go from i can't do this to okay i have some confidence here to get this so the process when we have them come in at five months what we would love to see is that when we bring you in at check-in day that when we throw a dead frozen pigeon on a check cord your puppy knows what that is. It's picked it up at home. Maybe the puppy's been a little shy for their first few minutes in the new environment, but after a few minutes, that puppy's retrieving that because it's been exposed to it at home. The steps that we would take for a customer then is once we get them picking up a frozen bird, and we hope that that happens at drop-off, the, the problem we get sometimes is if a dog's had no feather exposure, 
And let's just say, let's go back to the ball. The dog's been retrieving amazing. And that owner thinks, oh, this dog's the best retrieving mm-hmm. dog I've ever owned. And that drop-off will throw that frozen pigeon, and the dog will run out there and get up to it and go, well, what's this? What hmm. am I supposed to do with it? So it's very important before that introduction of burden that you start getting that dog like you've done, wing on a dummy, then moving on to the actual real thing. Once we start gun-breaking a dog, we move into all live birds, that whole process. And it's a two-week course for us. And what happens is it's about, and I think this is something we should talk about, is years ago, the whole idea of gun breaking and bird and gun introduction was, let's get the dog, can see if it's okay with noise. Let's take it to the trap range. Let's shoot our gun around it. Let's see if the dog can handle loud noises. And if it can, well, then let's see if it'll pick up a bird. And over the years, we really found that that's really not the right way to go because a dog had a noise happen for no reason, Mm -hmm. and it potentially made the dog uncomfortable. And then we found out later that the dog was nervous around guns, noise, but it was great on birds, but the damage has already been mm-hmm. done. So our focus is all about the bird first and then incorporating noise that comes in. So I do want to underline that because I consistently hear that sort of mentality still today where it's like, you know, my pup's safe place is in the kennel. So I'm going to drive to the clay range, leave my pup in the kennel and have all this gunfire go off. But the dog's going to feel safe in the kennel. That's a recipe for creating gun shyness, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. That and fireworks. Yeah, you know, fireworks. Fireworks are a, a big contender of yeah. dogs. Somebody sighting in their gun. They're not thinking about, like, hey, it's deer season. I'm getting my gun ready. Oh, I totally forgot that the puppy was right there under my feet. He's there all the time. I wasn't thinking about mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, we always recommend, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people like to introduce dogs to guns. I'm a big believer in up until they're ready to gun break at five months, the most I'll do for noise is maybe a hand clap, throwing retrieves, clapping my hands. It comes from you. They know where it's coming from. I think the biggest thing that dogs get hung up on, whether it's fireworks or these other things, they don't know what it's for. They don't know where it's coming from. And I I think we've learned with fireworks these days, they're not like they used to be when I was a kid. There's some pretty Mm -hmm. big stuff going on. Mm -hmm. My recommendation for any young dog that's pre-burden gun introduction, if you know there's going to be noise like that, that puppy is in a crate. There might be a blanket over it. The radio is cranked so loud or television that that puppy cannot hear what's happening out there. People will say, well, he was fine. He was sitting with me. Well, how did you know that dog, like the safety Mm -hmm. thing, might have seemed fine, Mm -hmm. but really inside was going, I don't like any part of this. And that's where we get a lot of dogs that probably had great potential on a bird, but unfortunately they had a bad experience with noise, and we dropped pans, we did this, we did that. You know, I really feel that that noise should be associated with the prize, and that's why Mm -hmm. we use live birds. Think about your young dog on a daily basis, tracking down, chasing a live moving bird. That starts to get them super focused on, I love every part of this. Mm -hmm. Well, then we go through a process of going through hand clap for a few days. We take a starter pistol, 22, little acorn blanks. A lot of people think of, like, if you've ever seen a sport where they, you know, a track meet, they set off. That's a pretty loud 22 blank. The ones we use are called acorn blanks, so they're really small. And what we actually do is we've made a muffled pouch to start that firearm in. And I can clap my hands louder than that going off inside that device. So what we're doing in that process is making it about the bird first, adding a little noise, especially in that first week, just easing that every day a little bit more. And what we're looking for is do the dog stay focused on the bird? 
And this is one thing as a trainer over years, what I've ended up seeing and noticing as you analyze these dogs and what they're doing, I've seen a dog blink its eye, twitch its ear, look at me, just the slightest little thing that if you weren't watching that stuff, you wouldn't even know that that dog had a little concern with that noise. And that might even be a dog that's never been exposed to fireworks, guns, nothing. Mm -hmm. It just was unsure what that noise was. And those are signals that you're looking for to go, oh, we need to back up here, slow down, maybe do a few more days of the rep we're on. Oh, it just happened that one time. We backed up. We reviewed. Okay, we're good. And that way we can ensure that we didn't correlate negativity. By the end of the program, we're looking for that dog to hear that noise and go, well, every time I heard that noise, a $100 bill came flapping out of the sky. <laughs> so I think I like this noise, <laughs> right. right? Right. And I think that's one thing that starting the noise thing would be the one thing I would always save for training. And I think we're going to go a little bit into, you know, should I do this myself? Mm-hmm. Should I have a trainer do it? And obviously I'm a trainer, so it's easy to say, well, you should have a train. But there is one program at our facility I would say it's the most important program, and that is our bird and gun introduction. You only get one chance to introduce a bird the right way. You only get one chance to introduce the gun the right way. If we don't hit those marks, we have the potential of missing out on a dog's potential. And when you do gun break, and I kept saying lie birds, lie birds, you need the proper way to do that is to have lie birds on hand and it's not a live one and then a couple frozen at our facility. Every time your dog throws mm-hmm. a retrieve, it's got a live bird. Even if it kills it, it's getting another one. That way we can maximize that that correlation goes together. It can be done with some dogs that have a lot of drive and a lot of intensity that you can get away with gun breaking with a bumper or maybe a dummy with a wing on it. Sure. But from the, the lighter ones, the more aggressive, we've always had section. And what you're doing is you're building a foundation that what's the most important first thing, gun and bird. And then anything after that can be manufactured, Mm -hmm. control, obedience, how to hunt, whether it's a retriever or a pointing dog. But if you miss the mark there, you really run the potential of not having the opportunity to do any of those other things. So one thing that you've mentioned it, but I'll just underline it for everybody. It's not gun introduction. It's bird and gun introduction because the two are married together, mm-hmm. right? You want your bird dog to associate gunfire with birds, and that's why the two are linked in the training session. Absolutely. Um, for The other thing you mentioned is, you know, you can always layer the obedience to clean up the retrieve. You may not be able to correct me if I'm wrong. You may not be able to correct a gun shy issue. No, it's, it's, it's it, if a dog's not birdie. You can't force them to be birdie. You can get a dog to sit if it's not sitting. If they've had a bad experience with fireworks gun and they've decided that that noise is not okay, there there is dogs, I will say, and we, we don't brag about this, but there are dogs that we've brought back. But I will still say they were doing it because they wanted the bird so bad hmm. that they were tolerating the noise. It still didn't like the noise. It still made them a little uncomfortable but they wanted the bird so bad that they were willing to move forward. But 90% of them that have had a bad experience, you can start. A lot of the hand clap is not where you see it, but when you start that blank pistol, even in the pouch, that makes a little pop. Uh And you'll see those dogs that have had a bad experience. I mean, they literally hit the brakes and they go, all right, I remember that. Last time I heard that, I didn't like it. I wasn't comfortable. And it doesn't matter how good you are, how much you love the dog. The dog's already decided. And then that leapfrogs to the trainer. You just got put in the same position from last 4th of July 
Mm. Well, that noise thing that happened that one time is now here. Well, all of a sudden now in our facility, we've just made our situation bad because of something that happened outside of our control. You, you also hear, I'll, I'll nope, turn it ahead. back over to you, Logan. You also hear, well, this this pup comes from long line of master hunters. You had titles, you know, and never had a gun-shy problem in their lineage. That doesn't necessarily guarantee. Absolutely not. Um, doesn't matter the breed, doesn't matter the lineage. You still have to mind your P's and Q's and do it properly, yeah, right? And that's great. You know, to, to talk about that is we've actually gone to the point now when we sell Labradors to our customers in our facility, we enroll the bird and gun program into the price of the puppy. Hmm. And here's why. That way we get the puppy back. We gun break the dog. We make sure that that didn't happen so it doesn't go back. Well, I bought this dog from this lineage, and it must have been from that parent of that dog is why this is happening. Mm -hmm. It's never carried on from one parent to, to the next pup. It's it's right. always human-created issue. Is there is there things, like, just within the home that you see, like, that would trigger this? I mean, I know we talked about, you know, obviously the things like going to the gun range. Um fireworks are the are the big ones is there things like within the home pots pans vacuum cleaner i mean is there things that you see commonly that would kind of manifest into a, a gun shy dog i think the big thing like going on home life would be okay i'm about to make some noise here whether it's a vacuum whether it's pot and pans it's all about where's the puppy what's it doing am i going to surprise this puppy by turning on the vacuum that's where that issue could have a, a play that puppy's over there in the house. You know, somebody turns it on in a couple rooms over. It's not startling the puppy right up in their business. Now, obviously, everybody's probably made the mistake, maybe dropping a pan in the kitchen unintentionally, right? That can happen. But it's always just being aware. I kind of go back to if I know that's going to be a risky spot, I might put that puppy somewhere in the home even that it can't be exposed to that. If it's vacuum, once again, put it downstairs, turn the radio up. Just don't have that stuff be really kind of pushed into the dog's face. Sure. Um, other than that, most puppies adapt to home life, noise, doors shutting, noise. But it's, it's, it's ones that startle them that I think has the, bat, the worst effect okay. on gun shyness. Yeah, that's interesting. You just you replay things in mm -hmm. your head, and you're like, huh, did I do that right? I don't know. Normally, it's, it's the fireworks. It's the trap range. It's I sighted in my deer rifle and didn't realize the puppy was right there. Those are normally the big ones that when a puppy comes in, it's, they're, they're already decided that it's, it's over. Yeah. One thing that caught me off guard with, uh, th I guess this was Trammel, um, one of my earlier puppies, <clears throat> brought Trammel home in late spring and took her to a, a, a 4th of July parade. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, it's a good opportunity for socialization. Then on the you know, corner a couple you know, blocks away, I hear the drum corps. I was like, thankfully, that sent a trigger it into clicked, my mind. Yeah. I was like, I got to get this dog away from this. Mm -hmm. It wasn't fireworks, wasn't gunfire, but it's just think about a high school drum yeah, line. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm going the other direction yep. right now. Mm -hmm. And it didn't lead to any problems because, you know, who knows, right? But those sort of things are what you got to be cognizant of when you're a new pop owner. Yeah, and, and – Bird and gun being, like I said, it really is our most important course because anything can be done. Even a lot of customers come to us that intend on training their dog themselves. They realize to be able to have the dog on live birds every day, they don't have access mm -hmm. to that. The other part these dogs get is your dog is there with other dogs. 
So we don't ever do free play at our, our facility. We don't do two dogs trying to get the same retrieve. But your dog, let's say it's the third dog in a row, it's going to watch a couple dogs retrieve, correlate, and kind of the tease factor gets kicked in a mm. little bit. So not only does your dog get exposed to live birds every day, it's other dogs watching them, hearing the shots as they correlate. Okay, now your dog's number three is going, get me out there. <laughs> I'm on deck. I, I'm, it's time to go. Uh-huh. All those things can really build drive, and that's all we're really trying to do is make gun and bird good. I always say pour gas on that fire. Mm-hmm. Right. And then also a trainer's evaluating what's the retrieve look like? Are we going to have a hard mouth issue? What is the open, even though we're not asking for obedience, how was the dog's manners? Did it pull us down there? Did it jump on us? Because then after that two week program, we're going to do a live demonstration for that owner so you can see your dog. To call you on the phone and say, this is all the things you need to do, paired to, no, I just watched my puppy. Mm-hmm. I even encourage film this so you can watch it back later. Then we sit down and go, okay, here's the things you need to be throwing for retrieve. Do you own a check cord? Well, you need one. Mm -hmm. And we can take each dog separately and go, this owner needs to go down this path. This owner needs to go down that path. And it can be dogs from the same litter. Sure. But how they were brought up, the different traits between the different litter mates. Different exposures along the way. The other thing that I think about, you mentioned this, um, accessibility to birds absolutely accessibility to pigeons Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people that will do gun introduction like okay you know my buddy was way over here um i you know we we gradually moved the dog closer to the gunfire right dog's fine with gunfire but isn't necessarily connected to birds Mm -hmm. so you like dog's fine with guns but then you go out in your first pheasant hunt dog gets a rooster in the mouth and then all of a sudden that great big long spur is whacking them in the nose and the fit and they're like well this sucks mm-hmm. right because that bird introduction in a bird that they can handle also builds up the tolerance to the goose trying to take them under the water the, the rooster trying to whack them in the the nose with the spur, the the wing beat on their face, all those things they build a tolerance to because they love it so much. But if that's their first experience, you can really turn them off, right? Absolutely, and, and you, you nailed it. The pigeon is great for that. Once they go through our bird and gun introduction, we'd kind of recommend as we would ask you to go to a game farm and continue hunting with your dog, moving into like chuckers. I don't know if anybody's shot chuckers before, but they're they're a covey bird like a grouse. Mm-hmm. So they hold, they don't, you know, a pigeon's going to fly away if you give it too much time. A rooster's going to run. You're looking for a bird that sticks and stays where it's at. So when you're getting a young dog from bird and gun introduction, moving on to going to a game farm, and I always say game farm because a, a young dog should not go in a wild situation. You can't guarantee success. You might be hunting educated birds. Where game farm, you can go out in a position like you know they're there. You literally just watch the guy put them out for you. And I even recommend in a game farm you have them flagged, hmm. right? You don't want to spend a lot of time out there going, I don't know, the guy said he put them out here somewhere. <laughs> you got to be the dog going, going, all right, I see one over there with that mark. Mm. I'm not going to bring my puppy right to it, but I'm going to at least start heading that direction, just keeping that rhythm of success happening quick. And I'll go from pigeons, chuckers, then I would say start mixing in some hen pheasants. They're going to be a little less aggressive than mm-hmm. those roosters. But everybody wants to jump to that rooster. And when they're young and the price of birds these days, mm-hmm. you can probably get three chuckers for the price of one nice long tail rooster. Mm-hmm. Right now with that young puppy, you're more about how many you can shoot for the puppy and then moving that size up. And that's no different than these retrieving things. Moving the size of the bird 
based on. And, and I'll make those decisions if you see your young dog. Like, all right, I'm on chuckers, and the puppy's starting to mouth a little bit. I need to start adding some hens in this situation to fill that puppy's mouth. And I don't go to roosters until I see that the dogs had quite a bit of bo- bird exposure. It's, it's showing me every sign leading up through a hen. And at our facility, we shoot a lot of hens for these young dogs because they're not as aggressive mm-hmm. as those roosters. At the end of the day, they have to be exposed to that last step. But you can right. build that confidence, mm-hmm. pigeon, chucker, moving up. Very interesting. In the the flagging of the bird, I also just love, too. Right? And the reason I love that is you know where the bird is. You know, you can watch how your dog's working. You can assess what the wind is doing. Right. And you can see how the dog is is or isn't using their nose. And you don't, like you mentioned, you don't want to lead them right into it. But you do, if you know where the bird is, you can lead the dog into the wind correctly. That's right. To fit, to, you know, fit, help them connect the dots on, on wind equals finding the scent equals finding the bird. That's, that's oh. a good question too not to cut you off mike but when i'm doing you know where we're at right now with track and i'm doing a lot of bumper work with the wing attached should i be incorporating scent into that as well or am i mainly just worried about the retrieve at this point well you want some scent in there as well so they're familiar and that's by having the real wing on there is really the best you know all the things out there's all kinds of product at the end of the day there's nothing better than the real thing Hmm, so whether it's any kind of wings you can put on if it was me i'd be keeping feathers involved through that whole process And the more you can practice with the feathers, you're getting more reps of that play happening with the item that you plan on having to do it correctly in the future. So I I try to stay on it. And going back to like the deadfall trainers and things, we use these as alternatives when an alternative needs, you know, maybe I'm going to do a bunch of water retrieves today. Well, if I throw my frozen bird in there a few times, it's going to get saturated and maybe unusable. That deadfall might allow that. But if something like this deadfall trainer would be thrown in cover, absolutely, you better be putting scent on there. Okay. Right? But if you're going to challenge a dog to really find something, there's kind of nothing better than the real thing if you're trying to create that nose and challenging them to find it. And that's why going into, let's say, the chucker being a very a bird that's going to hold, it's got a good odor, you know where it is, you're just setting that dog up to learn that nose. Mm-hmm. So let's take a step back to bird and gun. And you were kind of talking about this with the gun and moving closer. All the initial gun breaking is done out front, meaning the gun and the bird are out front of the dog. So they can see, when we do our introduction course, we're not hiding birds in the cover. They see us throw them. When we dizzy a live flyer up, it's right in front. They can see us dizzy it up and set it on the ground. Everything has to be put together with their eyes and the situation, their ears, the gun. What can happen, though, and you mentioned that they check on the gun way out in the distance, and it's fine. And then where I thought you were going to go with this is then the bird gets up for the first time. Where was that gun now? Mm. Now the gun is behind the dog. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of people think, oh, we're good to go because we've done some gun way out in Mm -hmm. front. We Mm -hmm. move closer. Well, when you shoot your first bird... Where's the dog and where's the gun? Right. You're behind the dog. And they don't have a visual. They don't have a visual. And if they didn't have a proper gun breaking, that's an opportunity to spook them as well. So we go through a whole first week is everything's out front. And then the last step, we move them all the way from a starter pistol. And that that talks about people doing themselves. You've got to be ready. Lie birds, starter pistol, 410, 20-gauge, 12-gauge, right? An area to do these things. Well, what happens is, is we get them all the way through the 12 gauge when they see us out front. Then when we go back to shoot from behind them for the first time, we actually go down to the 20 gauge 
back up with the gun, make make that noise a lot quieter as we move into shooting behind them. Mm-hmm. And there's a transition of way out front on their side and then eventually moving from shooting behind them. So that, that part there, I think that's where a mm-hmm. lot of dogs, everybody thought it was fine, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden that gun was behind them and that dog didn't know where it came from. That They haven't been trained for that. Sure. So that's a, a big one, I think, that catches a lot of dogs where people say it was fine, mm-hmm. but now it's not. Mm-hmm. That's probably where I've made a critical mistake in the past, or could have, I should say. It didn't end up hurting me, but I would have made that same mistake. And there's, there's dogs out there that are so birdy, I say, that mm-hmm. you, know, you can make some mistakes and they're probably going to continue. But there's a lot of dogs that we see that are right in the middle of the pack. And, and to be honest, it's, it's the dog that people want. They want this dog that lives in the home, is not a terrorizing everything, mm-hmm. has that you know a little bit lower end drive, but enough to go hunting. Those are the kind of dogs that you really got to make sure that you don't miss any steps or try to rush it. The dog that was just blazing saddled from right from the beginning, right. those are the dogs you might be able to get away with a lot more and not have as many issues pop up. Sure. But we try to treat every dog, no matter how drive, if they have, no matter if it's like it's the most drive I've ever seen, they all go through the process. And, and there's a lot of dogs you could go, yeah, I could probably move up to the shotgun here already if I wanted to, mm-hmm. but we don't. We just make sure every step happens. It's just you only get one chance at it. Yep. Right? Yeah, people get hung up on cost at that point, right? They, they oh, you know, I, I can't throw a few more hundred dollars towards this, but just back up for a second here. How much did you spend to get the exact puppy you wanted? Mm-hmm. How much are you going to spend on kennels and, and e-collars and food and the investment of time you've made into this partner for hopefully 10 to right? 15, 10 to 15 years. years? Yep. And a few hundred bucks on the one component you very seldom can fix is gun shyness. Absolutely. And like, I, I always say if, if, if I told you you had to spend this amount of money and you broke that up to 10 years, mm-hmm. you're, you're talking pennies on the dollar for a lifetime of that hunting dog. So yep. there, there, that is one thing. Unless you have the right tools and environment, and, and once you start bird and gun, you can't do a couple days, oh, I got busy, work, family, and then I'm going to pick up this weekend, and I'm going to try to rep the dog a bunch on Saturday to catch up. That's not how that needs to mm-hmm. go. That dog, once it starts that process, needs to be on a daily routine. And that's what we found gets the most out of all young dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, can we jump to e-collars and water? Do you have other bird and gun intro? Uh, maybe one last follow-up on the bird and gun. So, we, you know, a dog goes through your program. You get them introduced bird and gun. And you're on them every day, you know, working through this with them every day. You know, the owner comes back to pick the dog up. You run them through what, you know, you're showing them what they've learned and how the dog's operating. At that point, like, what sort of gap? Um, You know, you you have access to the live birds, you know, the the facility, the area to do it. I pick him up back up as an owner, bring him home. Now what? Yep. So we'd it's be just the game farm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So normally they're doing that around five months. So we're waiting till eight months to hit to bring them in for more training. Okay. So during that time period between, we'd be encouraging that owner to go to the game farm. We would literally sit down how to set up that hunt, make it successful, but shoot as many birds as you possibly can for that young dog. Work on as much retrieving on a check cord. If you came back with a dog at eight months of age, now it'd be great if you did some obedience. But if you said I did no obedience. This dog doesn't know how to sit, but I shot birds, and it dog retrieves really well on a retrieve. 
Well, when a trainer gets the dog, when we're putting rules, let's say, on manners, pulling, sitting, laying down, that normally in those scenarios has nothing to do with retrieving or hunting. So let's say a dog's pulling me to another dog. Well, I can use training to say, nope, you better stop that behavior. But when you're putting rules on distance out in the field, retrieving with a bird in your mouth, you're putting rules on their fun. So the best thing you can do for a trainer is shoot as many birds for that dog to get that part going. So now you have a dog with so many birds under its belt, and people say, well, how many? Well, there's, there's no such thing as too many, right? So we understand you can't go to the game farm every day, but one of my recommendations, all right, I'm going to pick a couple Sundays a month. I'm going to go to the game farm. Well, you can't take the puppy out and shoot 20 birds in one sitting. Puppies don't have the mindset for that attention span. You're going to go to the game farm and go, have three or four put out, shoot them, take a break. Wait 15, 20 minutes, hour, have some lunch, go shoot three or four more for that dog. By doing that, that dog got a brand new hunt every time you took a break. Paired if you put 10 birds out and you got five of the 10 and your puppy's made some big retrieves, been working his tail off, and all of a sudden you're like, he wants a break. And you're going, well, I got five more birds out here that we can't miss out on. So it's really best to break up little mini hunts. Okay. Yep. So if now think about it. if you did it three times that one day, that's three hunts you just got in. So if you do that a couple times a, a month alone, you're really setting that dog up. When they come back for our next program, here's what I want to see. If they come out and I go for the first week of intermediate, we call it the adult training, the finishing course. And if that dog wants to get out of the truck and literally take off and go hunt because it knows exactly <laughs> why we're here, that's perfect. Now mm-hmm. we can work on control and reining this in. We get a lot of pups that come out, and we get to the field, and they kind of look up at us like, well, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Well, it takes that trainer then a couple of weeks to get that dog out using its nose, out flushing birds. And what we're always hoping is we're asking to go do the funnest part with your dog possible, mm-hmm. and that's go shoot birds. Mm-hmm. And what we can do is set that dog up. When we get in for training, the dog knows how to hunt. It knows all those elements. We can get going on the finished product. Those dogs that don't get any birds from bird and gun to the adult course we're kind of playing catch up and you can't go shoot a hundred birds in a short, you got to break that up day after day and week after week. So shooting as many birds as possible, bringing those birds home, freezing them, getting more reps with your check cord at home. It's all about helping that dog be a good retriever because we're going to put some obedience on the retrieve, but the more that they're encouraged to want that bird, if you're going to put rules on it, they better really want to play that sport. If they've only had a few birds, or let's say you did bird and gun and the dog's been sitting for four months, we might have lost that fire a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we're in no position to put more rules on that element of training. Obedience is always the easy part for us. Hmm. Getting a dog to heal, sit, I mean, yeah, there's always challenges that come with it. But it's putting rules on their fun is where you better know when to ask, when to back off, when to take a break, when to have fun time that's running around, not work time. Because if you're putting rules on the retrieve and you go – too much too fast the dog might go well why would i pick this up you're just going to boss me around the whole time hmm. so that's when we need a dog for a length of time kind of like what you went through we have to show them what we want to do but not take away one ounce of what that dog offered for drive and retrieve so helping a trainer by continuing to shoot birds will be the most important thing you can do okay hmm. good to know there's some rare cases like well every time i go shoot a hen fez and the dog just wants to eat the bird well, okay well then all right throw him frozens when he comes in for training we'll address that but it very seldom is that the, the option it's so it's it, more birds as possible 
and I know we've talked about, you know, you, you like to bring them in at five months. Is there, is there any hurt in bringing them in at six, seven months? Does that? Well, it, it does at some point. Okay. Let's just say the dog's 10 months when it comes in for bird and gun. We can do it. We've done it all the time. We've done it many times. But all of a sudden now you're letting a 10-month-old dog get away with the free pass to Camp Snoopy two weeks <laughs> when you actually should be working on the finish, the structure of moving on to an adult dog. So that part does play a factor. And we found at five months they're not old enough to be disciplining yet but they're old enough to start the bird and gun introduction. And I encourage treat training, obedience, showing light leash work, but we don't really get into a, a real structured program until they hit eight months. So to answer your question is we get dogs of all ages doing that bird and gun. I've okay. done dogs five, six years old. Mm. But the problem is then it's like, okay, we got to hurry up and get done here, and we need to jump into where this dog should be, and that's For the progression. progression. Yeah. Then you're, then you're kind of letting the dog go wild when you should be kind of working on structuring and finishing the dog. Kind of the main point is that a, a pup at five months old has the cognitive ability to learn what you're trying to teach them at bird and gun introduction. And they have the physical ability to hold a bird in their mouth. Absolutely. So every month that proceeds that they don't have that, they have the potential to be learning negative habits habits that you got to backtrack on absolutely just like going back to gun breaking every day that goes by that that dog's not gun broke you might be out in the world and unknowingly a noise goes off and potentially sets you back by getting that dog gun broke the worst you're going to probably have when that noise goes off in the distance is like okay well i heard the noise where's the bird mm -hmm. right yep. so yeah it, we, we see it but we always recommend it as as young as we can but you're right at the you're at a good spot and cool. we do it every two weeks so Every two weeks, there's a new class of puppies coming in. So we can usually get young dogs in pretty quick on that program. Cool. That's a that's probably a pretty good segue to, like, the collar component of this and collar conditioning. Um, you always hear the six-month age thrown out. Can you dive into that? Yeah. Why or why not? We, we, we Our number is eight months. Eight months. That's when we start. It doesn't mean that a puppy, even at your age, can't be using the collar as, I always say, a dummy collar. It's not on. You're not using it. You're associating every time I put this on, we go outside, we're going to do retrieving. Something positive is going to happen by having that device on. Normally around eight months is where we actually start working into that. There's some factors here too. Once again, if this is not going to be a bird dog, you can start working on control things maybe a little sooner. But the bird dog has to learn to stay out 20, 30 yards in front of you in one breath. And as a finished dog, heal perfectly and walk at your side. So you got to have both. Mm -hmm. The non-hunting dog, if you start disciplining them a little too soon, a little too quick, well, what's the worst thing? Oh, he won't leave my side. Well, if you're not going to use it for hunting, maybe not a problem. Mm -hmm. But you put that discipline on them a little too soon for a bird dog. Now, so I used a collar for coming. I think I got a little too ag aggressive with my correction. Now I think that puppy doesn't want to leave my side. What do I do? Well, unfortunately, we've already put a little bit of negative a little too quick um, so we generally say wearing it fun doing things um, what we do with all our collar training and I think the big misconception is is a lot of people use the collar as the teacher we're right. going to use the leash the check cord we're going to make sure the dog 100% knows what's asked of it and then with the ropes or the leash that information gets transferred over the remote collar um, so where you're at right now, I'd be concentrating on retrieving, gun and bird. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't do your obedience because you're going to have time when you're not doing those other things. But right now, handling obedience as 
a helper showing the dog repetitive what you want. You mentioned placing, sitting, yep. laying down. Keep going through those plays. But if the puppy says, I don't want to sit anymore, being patient, helping, showing. We feel when they hit around eight months is the time we can go, all right, they're turning into teenagers, mm. right? They're starting to give some kickback. They're starting to get their opinion on things. So then it's time to start going, all right, I've been showing you this whole time how to do all these things. Now I'm going to slowly start being a little more persistent on how long you do it, how fast you do it. And then once again, we have a couple months that we go through because I always say to people, this isn't military school. It's about keeping them happy, positive, and to start showing them it's in their best interest for praise. They're going to get some birds. Something good's going to happen by complying. And, and the callers today, especially with the sport dog brand that we use, one thing we have, and I will say some dogs can go younger age, and one thing they offer now is these levels that are lower than ever before. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are still have this fear of the shock collar. Well, I don't even like that word anymore. It's not a shock collar. It's a remote yeah, collar. You probably experience it. it stimulates them. It's it's kind of a tingly feeling for mm-hmm. them. It's more of an annoyance. It's annoyance, to them, not, absolutely. Not like causing them pain. That's right. And we have levels now that we can start young. You know, and you can have vibrate introduction. There is tone introduction, and then light stem. So tone for people that maybe don't own a collar yet is just audible beep. Uh, but yep, just a tone of beeping. Yep. Um, all those things are good you know, vibrate introduction, some noise. But at the end of the day, when a dog gets trained for a remote collar, the one thing we forget is the dog needs to be conditioned to the actual stim levels. And by having such low levels that we do today, what we even see dogs is like scratching their side a little bit, kind of like shooing away this tingly feeling <laughs> like now. Like mosquitoes. Yeah, are. that's right. So they're not having this big reaction like they did a long time ago. We're conditioning them sooner than we've ever done before. But we're finding that we've used the leash to show, and then we start integrating. And by n- avoiding the actual stim levels, let's say you just use vibrate tone to the whole process. And then all of a sudden later, like, okay, the dog's running after a deer to the road. I need to use the collar. The dog hasn't been conditioned to that stim. I'm a believer, and yep, there is a little introduction of tone and vibrate early on. But I pretty much jump right into low-level stims. So they can be conditioned to that annoyance, to that that's coming from you mm-hmm. and showing them with the rope what their response is supposed to be. So if I told you I ha- you only had to use it 50 times to never have to use it again, mm-hmm. wouldn't you want to get those 50 times out of the way compared to you're not really using it, you're not using the stim levels, and then you decide to use it, the dog doesn't know what that information is. And then sometimes a tone or a vibrate might not be enough when there's a deer or a highway. Road, highway. And you can get to a point with, after you've conditioned the stim, then you connect it to a beep, right? Sure, and, absolutely. And it's a warning. You got it. Right? And then there's the beep and the dog's like, oh, time for me to turn, yeah. right? Or come back or whatever you've trained that dog to do. You pointed on something great here for people that had their last dog. My last dog was great with the tone. Mm-hmm. And I always got to remind them, I bet you at one point, though, you went through the collar training. Right. And then you transferred over the tone. Well, the dog knew that if it didn't respond to the tone, that it had been trained to the stim level. So then at that point, great. I mean, I have a seven-year-old lab. I hit the tone. He's just as reactive of anything. But when he was a puppy, he went through all the stim training to lead to that point. And now I don't actually have to use the stim levels. But it's very important that they get conditioned to them. And like I said, Sport Dog has 
low. I mean, it is so low. I have customers that are, are nervous of things and you know, they put it on themselves, test, they tell me these stories. Like, I couldn't even feel it. So mm-hmm. That's exactly what we were going for. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, uh, another question related to collars, when somebody got a new puppy, maybe they've never owned an e-collar before. And, and another variable here is GPS, mm-hmm. right? Does a person need to own, say, two levels of e-collars? Like one for training that's really low functionality, just immediate stim, and then maybe a hunting with different bells and whistles? Um, or does it depend on the dog, the type of hunting conditions, the bird? Like, how do you um, how do you give recommendation based well, around you know, e-collars? As Sport Dog has, they have a huge variety of different kind of collars for every yep. use out there. I personally use a, a dial, something that has quick adjustment, because my everyday is in the education part, so I'm on the adjustment all the time. Now, like GPS collar, pointing dogs on the field, you don't know where they are, kunda, all these things that are great for those things, but it can be something that you can't make a quick adjustment. Right. So I, I tend to like a collar that I can make a quick dial adjustment as I'm in the training process, and then they have all these other options for, okay, let's say the GPS, the dog's trained, I know the dog runs on this level, I can put that on there and have that particular number ready to go, but you know, that GPS has so many uses, even for me as a young puppy before the dog's even collar broke. Mm-hmm. I, I can know where the dog is. But, yeah, I tend to like a collar that I can make some adjustments. Um, I like the dial one for me personally just because I can quickly one, two. Right, and it's one button to get the kind of send the signal that you need, whereas the GPS, incredibly valuable even to find in your truck. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> but there's always a couple of things you got to hit to get to the stimulation point on the screen. Yep. And they do have a word of side button and things, you know, they can make different adjustments. Yep. But yep. I find that for us personally, when we do in the middle of training, we just want something that, and it's probably too from us of years of training, mm-hmm. of being conditioned. Uh, I don't want to say old school, but the dial has been our go-to way of making adjustments. So for me, I can handle that transmitter without even looking at it. I know where I'm at. So it's probably a lot that where there are some people that are comfortable. They can make, look at it quick, make the adjustments. It's probably for me, just kind of a habit of how I've been training for so long, Mm -hmm. but there is a different collar for different situations, you know, just like the GPS great for hunting, but might not be the right tool for just going outside in the backyard and doing some training or going for a walk might be kind of overkill in a sense. So a lot of customers will buy that GPS model for their actual hunts and a little more lower end collar with a dial for just living normal life. And that's what I, so I've got the tech 2.0 for hunting scenarios with, the the gps component particularly nice with a pointing breed mm, absolutely but for daily you know exercise and training the 1875 which is the beeper upland version absolutely. of the sport dog but then there's you know very the kind of the next level of basic um that is what you use and i can't remember that is it 1825 well, 1825 yeah is it will accomplish everything you need Absolutely. for multiple dogs. I, I like the dial. That's just something I grew up with. Um, but you can run multiple dogs. You can run beeper collars, launcher baskets. There's just so many things that the, yeah. that collar can do. And for me, I think it's in any person training a dog. If you, the more you can simplify it for the training process, mm-hmm. and then moving into those GPS collars once you're a little more of a finished stage. 
Right. Unless you're using it just to know where you're I – mean, I know I've had a five-month-old dog. It's like I had the GP on just so I knew if that puppy got out of my sight for one second – I could have that device go, oh, no, he's just 25 yards over here. Incredible peace of mind Mm -hmm. that comes with a GPS e-com. Oh, absolutely. Priceless, really. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. Water. Yeah, well, we we haven't done any of that, obviously. It's it's been frozen solid here. So (laughs) (laughs) his water introduction has been a couple baths at this point. Uh, I'll give you that. Yep. (laughs) Um, Which I guess he's acted positively towards. Okay. Um, He's – willingly will walk in the bathroom in the shower um doesn't like react to that negatively um so i guess that was a question too is that something you know as a new puppy owner obviously i I mean should people just be using the the scented wet wipes to clean the puppy up you know i mean if they have an accident in the crate they naturally smell like dog urine and i've always gave a dog a bath at a young age i mean it's it's you know, making the conditions right if you're going to give them a bath, comfortable water, mm-hmm. right, making it so it's not miserable for them. But the best way to get any young puppy would be, especially in your situation now that spring's coming, you need to almost be protecting that puppy from going in the water. Ice is starting to recede. There might be an open pond. That puppy's maybe been on, you know, some some people have been on the, out in the fish house with you all winter, running out on the lake at your cabin. Well, what's going to happen when all of a sudden you show up a few months later and the water's open and that puppy goes running down thinking it's heading onto the ice Mm -hmm. and now it's open water. So I always recommend, especially in your situation, that you keep that puppy out of that water until you would go in with your bare feet and not be uncomfortable. So that's step one. Two would be finding yourself an area where you know it doesn't get deep fast. So some sandy, not rocky, but sandy bottom. I know the place I've always used lows me. I mean, it goes, I can go out 100, 200 feet, and it's not more than past my ankle. So what I like to do is condition a young dog every day. You're going to pick here now. You're going to get, okay, the water's warm enough where I'd go in. Start just walking up and down that shoreline and picking those days where there's not a bunch of wind coming in, blowing, waves. It's a hot. It's calm. You're like, I got to go this afternoon. It's so warm out right now finding that shallow spot and just walking up and down that shoreline, letting that puppy, no pressure. I think that's one thing that happens. Some people pressure their dogs using the retrieve, Mm -hmm. throwing a stick in the water. Hmm. Well, you're using the retrieve then to pressure that dog to make its first water entry. Hmm. I want to see your puppy go a few days. And this could happen on the first time. It might happen on the fifth. You're walking back and forth, just letting the dog run in the water. And then you might start slowly going out a little further and a little further. But there is no retrieving with young pups, in my opinion, until they are swimming comfortably. Because otherwise you're using that retrieve to pressure them to make their first water entry. Hmm. And a lot of puppies, they'll kind of go, and then especially if they grew up in the wintertime, they're, they're not expecting to go down as they enter the water. So finding that shallow spot, warm days, making sure that you're not pressuring that puppy. And most puppies, labs especially, they'll just take to the water and it, you might be there the first time and he runs right in there and starts swimming around like he's been doing his whole life. Then I'd say, all right, grab your dummy and start throwing some retrieves in the water. Okay. But yeah, yep. finding that spot, I think is your first step, something that doesn't get deep fast because that can throw those puppies off and just get that puppy condition. And it might even take you and, and the family kind of getting out a little deeper. Maybe at some point, one of you kind of out enough where the puppy's going to swim. And a lot of times when they make that first swim, I'll let them come out and I'll kind of guide them right back in, try to get them to go out so they're not feeling overpressured. And then some of them just make it so easy on it. They just naturally go in and jump in and start swimming around. But save that retrieve for when 
the puppy's comfortable swimming in the water. If you're still seeing puppy paddle, that dog is going to not see that retrieve by splashing its feet with everything cut off visually to what you threw. Okay. And then all of a sudden, now the puppy tried to go make a retrieve, failed. Well, not only did you fail swimming, you also failed to retrieve as well. So mm. there might be more hesitation down the line because of that one time when I didn't get that retrieve. That's an important one because everything has been like, okay, do this at five months, do this at eight months. <clears throat> this isn't necessarily an age. This is like all condition driven. Conditions, yeah. So if it's, you know, like you mentioned a couple of times, it's warm out. You just got done with a training session and you go in the water. That feels good. It feels good. It feels good to you. feels good to the dog. Absolutely. And they're not going to be intimidated by doing that. And especially in the spring like this, the water, or even fall, the water can still feel comfortable. But how did the air temperature hit the puppy? Mm-hmm. It was windy. The puppy got chilled. Especially in the fall, that happens. It was The water was warmer than the outside air temperature. Mm-hmm. So as the puppy had a good time swimming, but then when it came out, it was kind of like coming out of the shower and without a towel, you're cold. That same thing can happen to them. So you're right. It's not about if, if, if you get a young puppy in the summer when it's warm, you can start it as early as eight weeks of age. But since you've had your winter conditions, you're just going to have to do it when the okay. time is right here. Yeah. Yep. And that's, you know, I, that's probably something I've, I've learned from making a mistake in the past with, with our previous dog, Aspen. He was, he was never, even being a lab, never one that, I mean, he would tolerate water but never loved water, mm-hmm. which is was pretty rare but looking back i can see clearly why he probably had a adverse reaction to it you know we lived up in duluth at the time lake superior it's it's cold as bob knows it's cold all year (laughs) Um, that was his introduction to water and swimming and uh Mm -hmm. yeah ever since then he just that was never like his thing which my lifestyle with him it didn't really matter because we didn't do a ton of waterfall hunting um i was primarily focused on the upland stuff and Mm -hmm. so it was whatever but you know, looking back, I can see where that made that mistake and where you can, you know, potentially steer them in the wrong direction. Well, and that, and that uh, extends on any young guy that has a dog, young puppy. Don't go in for those boat rides where it can fall out. Don't put them on the dock where your family's there and you don't catch where you mm-hmm. knock the puppy in. And heaven forbids, don't ever throw the dog in and say, here, figure this out. Mm-hmm. That, that very seldom goes the right way. Um, so... No pressure, keeping it easy, you'll have success. And most of these dogs, if you put them in the right conditions like that, hot day, they're panting, you've mm-hmm. been running up down the shit, doesn't take them long. They're like, all right, it feels so much better to be in here. And then at the end of the day, they made the decision that that's something what they want. And then now you can use that as a way to build retrieving, mm-hmm. hunting dog. But at the end of the day, if they've already, it's no different gun breaking. If they don't, they've already decided the noise is bad, it can be really hard to convince them that it's okay now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. Wait, wait here a little bit and cool. um, start. Uh, the big thing would be starting to find whether it's friends, family, a, a boat ramp, something where it's quiet, and you know, like I got a good shallow spot. That was going to be the best scenario. Awesome. Yeah, and we're you know we're pretty fortunate, you know, being able to work from home and blessing and a curse, I guess you know, but more so a blessing that I can be with him nearly twenty four seven. You know, working through it a ton of stuff throughout the day while I'm working, you know, on my breaks, we're able to do stuff lunchtime. I have access to a lot of water here, just North of the cities, close to the house. So perfect. That should be pretty easy, straightforward. Yep. And then, you know, once you got the puppy comfortable, then, you know, something that's going to float well, right. You know, if you throw a dummy out there that is, I'm not a stick fan because a stick is hard for them Mm -hmm. to see. And, you know, it doesn't always help on the retrieve. 
giving them a dummy with some color. Most dogs see blacks and whites and shades of gray. Normally those blacks and whites are their dominant of what they're seeing. So if you're throwing that on the water, if you got a dummy that's got good black and whites or good color to it or something that's going to float and ride high in the water is really going to help that puppy make that retrieve a lot quicker. Okay. Um, paired to water's new, yeah, they've seen a splash, but they kind of really have lost that item out there that can really hinder their confidence. And, and just like any retrieving, you mentioned in the house, in the yard, kind of the same thing. No matter how far you were throwing it on land at home, back up. This is new. I'm going to go easy, short, and I'm going to re. might not take as long, but always rebuild the short retrieve and then longer and longer. Um, that can really help build their confidence as well. Sure. Cool. So as we round and uh, round out this episode and talk about closing thoughts, before I go there, Mike, I want you to um, tell people how to reach you if they want to learn about gun and bird introduction through Dockin or just simply ask you some questions and yeah, get some more info. It, what I take a lot of throughout the weeks is, is phone calls on questions and uh, reaching out to our kennel, um, Dockin's Oak Ridge Kennel, Northfield, Minnesota. Uh, our main line is really the best. Um, you know, sometimes we get the email questions, people email questions, and I, I love them, but you're always going to get a phone call back from me. I need to talk to you. I have questions. I want to hear everything I can hear about what you've done so far, good or bad, so we can make a decision on giving good advice. And I'll always tell customers, if I can't help you on the phone, we need to set up an appointment. Hmm. We need to see you and the dog because I will not give you advice on certain things unless I see the dog, Mm -hmm. right? You know, just something as the dog's barking. What do I do? Am I ready for a bark collar? Well, I don't know the temperament of your dog. I'm surely not going to tell you to go put that on without knowing what your dog has for a temperament um, or where you're at in training. But yeah, reaching our office, I have a voicemail system there. I tend to never be in the office because I'm out training, (laughs) but you know, leaving me a good time to reach you. I do make a point every day to stop in, check those messages. um, And anybody can reach out from bird and gun and our facility does hunting dogs companion dogs shed dogs we really kind of hit everything so any question that you might have we're happy to have that conversation yeah and great partner of our organization you're a member of the perina pro staff the sport dog pro staff and you're at, been at pheasant fest a number of years in a row Absolutely. now and helping me personally with my own dogs. I can't sing the praises high enough for, for the work that you guys do down well, there. I appreciate that. Yeah, and everybody's welcome. Every every dog out there is welcome. Um, and all we're there to do is help everybody get to their goals. Um, and then also, sometimes people just realize there's some things you can't do mm-hmm. at home. You, you need a facility to help you get to that next level. And there's all levels of training that a lot of people do a lot on their own, but they hit a spot and they're – they're making the right decision of making a phone call because they go, I don't want to screw this up. I've gone this far. And sometimes just a 10, 15 minute conversation puts that person at ease and go, okay, I am on the right track. I am making the right decision. Or did you think of this, that, oh no, I wasn't. And that can open up a whole different situation and just put the dog in a better position to have a better future. Yeah. Yeah. Took the words right out of my mouth. That's, that's exactly where I'm at in this (laughs) seat right now. So that's good. Well, thanks, thanks for sharing all your expertise. Absolutely. I'll ask you guys, think about if you have a closing thought. As as I think back on our conversation, um, it, two things stick out to me. One being that we, we should think about obedience and the bird gun introduction as two separate training 
components as puppies, and they will eventually meet. But you want one to be real regimented with discipline. Then you want one to be regimented but fun. Mm -hmm. And when they eventually come together, that brings me to my second point is everything is – and you, you've used the, the words building on top of or layers. You, you're setting yourself up um, through the process of training where you're leading to where they do marry together. But you got to achieve those layered steps first before you can start getting to the – the bird that's or the dog that's perfectly handled, sitting right next to you with the uh, bird in their mouth, <laughs> ready to give it up to you. I mean that Absolutely. you're shaking your head that yeah. that resonates. Absolutely, right? it's a, it's a process, and these young dogs need everything broken down into little pieces, and there's all these different angles, and then at the end, it's all about bringing all those things together. Um, and I feel that if a dog gets too much thrown at it too fast or, you know, people think, well, it's it's this old, this is where I should be. Every dog's a different dog. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say every dog's a custom car build. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have litter mates, and you, you're going to make decisions based on how they were brought up, the exposure they had as puppies, and just at the end of the day, their own personal way of doing things can really d- dictate um, that path. But, yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's, it's definitely a process, and we're always here to give great advice and, and – it, for our customers that maybe don't have the resources or they don't have the time, mm-hmm. that's where we come in and, and help get that family hunting dog um, as a finished product. Yeah, right on. Um, Logan, as you think back on our conversation, anything that we've left unanswered for you or closing thought you, you have in mind? No, it's it's uh, it's been a great conversation. And like I said, I, I really appreciate being able to pick um, Mike's brain and gain his expertise. Um, you know, there's there's a little bit more, I mean, he brought up some things that maybe I hadn't thought about, um, as someone who's trying to train a dog on my own, that would make me think about bringing it to a, a professional trainer. Um, you know, there's just, you know, as you touched on, there's a lot of layers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really enjoyed, uh, lack of better term, foundational type training as a puppy, you know, crate training, the, the basic commands. Like I've really, really enjoyed that process. I'm at a point now where, you know, we're starting to like overlap some of these things, continue to to build on the foundation that's been set. Um, it's, it's something I really enjoy doing and watching, but I can see where having this expertise would really help set us off in the right direction. Right. You know, maybe for your closing thought, Mike, as you're thinking about the listeners who are dog owners rather than trainers, what, what would you recommend they ask of a trainer when they're trying to determine if, uh, you know, is, is getting some help the right move for them yeah i mean kind of going back to the bird and gun it's really hard for somebody unless they have the right situation to replicate what could happen in a training facility but anything past that i mean if they have the time and the energy and the will to do it Mm -hmm. it's dog training is just repetition Mm -hmm. showing them teaching them and repeat um so that bird and gun unfortunately is one thing that's really hard for someone unless they have the property and a bird full of crate full of birds mm-hmm. to really and, and it takes two people to do the bird and gun mm-hmm. there's one person handling the dog and one person handling the gun and the bird so number one having these supplies having the resource of somebody to help you every day um and, and that's the, the upside of that one program of, of all programs that any trainer does out there is, is that bird and gun introduction yeah yeah, right absolutely. on. As a person that's gone through some of it, I absolutely feel passionately about whether you do it yourself or with a trainer, do it, have a plan. 
and execute it because that's where you can make a big mistake. And there's there's a lot of dogs out there that really help an owner make things go pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. And then there are just some dogs that don't flow as easy and yeah. owner gets put in a position like they don't know which direction to go. And if you ever feel like you're in that position, that's the best time to get a hold of a professional trainer yeah. and start asking the questions. Or even, you know, just a, a buddy that's gone through it a number of times. My buddy John Zeman's yeah. helped with a number of my dogs. And just somebody that has that experience, whether they're a pro trainer, but just somebody that's gone through it where you don't make a mistake. Yeah, he, he's been there enough times that he was able to go, yep, I've seen this. Yep. I know exactly Let's what. Be cautious this, here. Or this is the plan we need to do right now, based on what I'm seeing, and that's where getting somebody that's handled a lot of dogs. And right. you guys might own five dogs your whole life. You know, I, I can train five. You know, we see fifty dogs a day that are being worked. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing all these different things coming together, and that's the, that's really the benefit of getting some help with a trainer if you really are in a tough spot. If the dog's got a lot of natural ability and it's giving you things. I say celebrate that situation because my world is the ones that are not just giving it to the owner. They normally need a little bit of help. Yeah. Good advice. Um, thank you very much, Mike. For Absolutely. Joining us. Anytime. Um, you can find Mike at Dawkins Oak Ridge Kennel. Um, look it up. It come up comes up on Google real instantly. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and for the number, it's 507-744-2616. That's the main line that will get you to our office. Um, always somebody there to answer the phone or, you know, be able to, you know, get you to the, I can get you a call back. Perfect. Perfect. And thank you very much also to Sport Dog Brand, um, Electronic Dog Training Systems for being a national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and our Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign, which you can check out the leaderboard right now at birddogsforhabitat.org going on the entire month of April. If you sign up and make a donation this week, you will qualify for a Sport Dog brand Sport Trainer 1275. Uh, Thank you very much for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks.